be turning to John chapter 21. This final chapter which the Apostle John by the Holy Spirit has included, it provides us with an intimate account. It shows us the care, the intimate care, the the engagement of our Lord with his church, with his people. And from these verses of our text this evening, I want to show you our Lord's provision of grace for his church, which she needs, which she requires in order to fulfill the commission that her Lord has given to her to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to fulfill this commission. What is it to, pre- to preach the gospel? It's to declare what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has accomplished for sinners. His people are sinners in need of grace, in need of his forgiveness, in need of the salvation that only he gives, that only he can provide and does provide effectually, successfully for his beloved people. His church is to declare what he has done, how that his blood, his sacrifice has delivered us from the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, which was against us for our sins, and that he rose again for our justification, making full proof, and rising from the dead, making full proof that he has fully satisfied the Father well in all things. For God raised him from the dead, being well pleased, well satisfied with what his Son has done. And he tells us that he is well pleased in him. He said, in whom I am well pleased. And all who come to the Father, trusting his righteousness alone, they are received, received of holy God, forgiven, perfect, righteous, accepted of him. And he gives us eternal life by himself through the regeneration of his Holy Spirit, whom the Father and the Son have sent to give us life, to make known to us what he has accomplished for us. And so this is an intimate account of this of his grace here. It affirms to us in seeing this that we need him. We need him to draw near to us. We need manifestations of his love and mercy, his help, his presence, his effectual power working in us, making us to hear and to rejoice in what he's done for us. And it shows us through this account of our Lord here, he's, he's entertaining his disciples. He's being hospitable to his disciples. He's giving them provision. He's meeting their need. He's doing this for them, and it shows us how that our Lord graciously provides for his church in directing them and in blessing them in their labors of upholding, of fulfilling, he upholds, of our fulfilling this great commission which he gives to us through the preaching of the gospel and the giving of his spirit. Now, it says in John 21, Verses 9 and 10. Let's see, let's read them. It says, As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, 
and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Through the death and resurrection of our Lord, what Christ has accomplished as the Christ, the Son of God has accomplished as the Christ of God, given for the salvation of his people, what he's accomplished is he brings, he delivers his people out of death. He takes us, as it were, out of the sea of God's wrath, and he brings us upon a firm foundation, a sure foundation, the rock of our salvation, which is Christ himself. He brings us out of darkness upon the light of his land. And that solid foundation that we now stand upon is the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul said, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. He's the rock that is laid by God. And it's through the power of his life that we are delivered from the wrath of God, from that sea of God's wrath, and brought on to the land, the land of our Emmanuel. We stand upon that firm footing, delivered from carnal reason and vain, fleshly, dead religion of men that they trust in, where we were just tossed to and fro. By nature, we're in utter darkness. By nature, we don't know how to worship God. We think we know how to worship God. Men have this word, this precious, blessed word of God, and reading it, they still don't know how to, how to come to God. They're still looking to their works and what they must do to please God, even reading this. But if God gives his spirit, if God delivers us from death, he gives knowledge and understanding by his spirit to know who the true and living God is, to know that it's not by my works that, that I'm saved, but by the grace of God given freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, for one, tried to make sense of how it is that a man may be justified with God. And I labored. I had a, a renewed sense as I got a little older. I had gone to church services when I was younger, and I heard some true things about the true and living God. And after a time, through providence, being brought low and, and, and brought to fear God in, in what little light that I had, I thought that I could now please God. I had put away this thing. I had put away that thing. I had repented of this and fixed that and did all these things that I felt like were standing between me and saying that I was a Christian. I fixed all those things, and then I felt like I had the right to now go up to God and, and say, now, now I can say that I'm a Christian. I felt good about myself. And yet, despite my very best efforts to fix things and to keep improving things, I kept seeing, I'm a sinner. It's not getting any better. It's like digging down into a well and thinking, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, and then everything's going to be better, except it wasn't. It got uglier and uglier. It was filthier and dirtier the more I looked. And it, it, it made me afraid. And, and so bad was it for me that one day I thought that I had willfully sinned myself right out of the kingdom of God. And that I had done despite the spirit of grace. And I was terrified. Terrified for a long time. So much that I thought, what, what more can I do? 
And I remember one day it ultimately came to me stripping down every bit of my clothes in my bedroom and getting down on my knees, maybe, I don't even remember, maybe falling on my face and trying to pray to God only to find that it did nothing for me. I thought I could hear that verse that is in Isaiah chapter 1 that says, Who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? And I thought I heard, as it were, a voice say, Get that thing out of my sight. And I was even more afraid then because nothing I did could relieve the guilt of my conscience and the burden of my sin. And I was afraid, and it seemed every time I opened the Bible to try and find some comfort, some, some peace. Sometimes I would read things, and it looked so precious. And I'd keep reading, and I'd get to a verse where it just all pulled the thread, and it fell apart right on me. One such verse is in Isaiah 57. Turn there. Isaiah 57 And it's at the end of that chapter, verse 20 and 21. But the wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And I was so troubled and afraid because that described me. I was troubled and I was afraid because I had no peace. To me, it, it felt like I had sinned against God 70 times 70 times 77 million plus. And, and I thought that was it. There's no way that he's going to receive me. But I did stay close to friends that were Christians, as I understood Christians to be. And I envied them because they had a smile on their face, and they seemed to be at peace. And I would talk to them, and I'd talk to any new Christian I met, especially one that was a pastor, and I would tell them my plight, and I would explain to them how troubled I was. And all they could say to me, and the false gospel that they held, was just believe, just believe. And I'd say, but what if I can't just believe? I'm really troubled. they say, that's just the devil. Don't listen to him, just believe. Just believe. And I was even more terrified. And as I tried to explain it, they would just distance themselves from me because they thought, that man's cursed. That man's trouble. I don't want to be near that guy. And I felt very, very alone. But I didn't know where to go because, Lord, you alone have the words of life. And you are the, the, the Son of God, the Christ of the living God. Where can I go? Where can I go? And I hated the thought of every sin I did that I thought was the reason for me just being thrust out of the presence and the grace of God, all for some momentary pleasures. And then one day I heard a man speak of the sovereign grace of God, how that God chooses whom he will, to be gracious to whom he will, and that he will not receive my righteousness is. He's not impressed with what I've put away and the things that I've done and the things I cease from doing and fixing myself so that I could give myself confidence in the right to say, now, now I can come to the Lord and call myself a Christian. That's what I was trusting in. And I heard him say, he will not receive our works. 
He's not impressed with our works. The only one that he's impressed with is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saves his people by almighty sovereign grace. And that actually comforted my heart. Because I was certain that by my works, because I could bring myself to God, that by my very works I could also take myself out from the grace of God. But it was such a comfort to hear, man, you can't do nothing, <laughs> nothing. God, by grace, by sovereign, almighty grace, he saves whom he will. And I began to think that maybe, maybe God hasn't cursed me and driven me out. It had been well over a year just walking around fearful and afraid and terrified. And every time I open the scriptures, I hear thunderings and lightnings and crashes down around me. I was afraid. And finally, it was such a comfort to know that God sovereignly saves and he strips his people down from trusting in their self-righteousnesses. And I thought, wait a minute, maybe God didn't, isn't cursing me. If he had let me go on comfortable in what I had done, I would have woken up in his presence one day to a miserable eternity. But in grace and mercy, he shook me and showed me everything I trusted in was worthless because uh, I was trusting myself. I knew the name, I knew a few things to say, but I was trusting myself. And so, so it hit me that the Lord had done this. And I began to realize that it was in grace and mercy. And that's what the Lord must do. He must deliver us from trusting in ourselves, trusting in our righteousnesses, because trusting in this flesh and what I do is just like being blown about on a, on, a, on a sea that is just tumultuous and casting up dirt and mire, and it's not salvation. It's not salvation. I had to be delivered from that because we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Man deceives himself very easily, and the Lord must deliver us from that. Look at what it says there in Isaiah 57 now in verse 12. Verse 12, let's begin there. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I'll declare thy righteousness. I'll say it, and I'll declare thy works, for they shall not profit thee. I know what you're trusting, and I'll, I'll tell you what you're trusting. I'll show you all the things, all the good works that you've done, and everything that you're trusting in, I'll tell them to you, and they will not profit thee. When thou criest, let, that, let thy companies deliver thee. If they're so good, let you keep trusted in them and let them deliver you. Let them speak for you in the day of judgment. But the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them. All, right? all your good works, all our filthy rag righteousness is going to show up and then be driven away like, like crumpled up leaves and fall, get blown away in the wind. But, and here's where he makes his chosen redeemed child to know, what to know and to, to do. He says, He that putteth his trust in me shall possess the land. The land. They'll possess Christ. They'll have Christ and shall inherit my holy mountain. And that's where Christ brought his disciples in John 21 to the land that is our foundation, which is Christ. And, they, and, and the Lord says, And they shall say, Cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Because religion is a stumbling block. Religion can be a mighty stumbling block. 
It was a stumbling block for the Jews. It was a stumbling block for the Greek philosophers because they trusted in those things. And they thought, this is my righteousness. This is my salvation. And that prevented them from hearing the true and living God, from hearing the Lord Jesus Christ, how that he saves his people to the uttermost, to the uttermost. And so our Lord makes the call of his gospel effectual to the hearing of his people. He manifests himself in our hearts by faith. He draws us to himself in power and in glory. And Christ says to his regenerated child, believe, believe. Just like he said in John 21, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. That provision, because right, who gave the disciples in this account, who gave the, the disciples those fish? The Lord, when he said, cast ye the net on the right side of the boat, and they took it up, and they had many fish, a great many fish, and he said, bring forth the provision that I've given to you. Bring it forth. And, and this faith that we, whereby we believe Christ, it's not of this flesh. This is not a fruit of the flesh. This is a fruit of the Spirit which is given to the children of God by the Spirit. It's born in us by the Spirit of God. And so he says, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Come to me in faith. Believe. Believe me. Rest in me. Trust me. I'm the provision that God has given to you, and I've given to you everything you need for your salvation. Put aside your works and your vain confidences, and trust me. Look to me. Cry out to me and I shall save you. Thou shalt be saved. And that's how we come into the kingdom of our Lord, stripped of all vain, false hopes. He removes them, like grave cloths being taken off of Lazarus. Remove the grave cloths, he said. He gives life, and he, by his word, by his servants, through the ministration of the gospel, he just strips these things off and takes them away from us because they're just weighing us down. They're just preventing us from seeing but he delivers us in grace and in mercy. And so through this gospel, his lost sheep are brought in. Also, like we see here, like fish, <laughs> like fish of every sort and size taken up in that gospel net. And so it says in John 21, 9 and 10 again, as soon as they were come to land, land by the grace of Christ, by the grace of God in Christ, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon, and bread. And we see in that a sweet picture of the declaration of Christ crucified, who bore the wrath of Almighty God, the fiery wrath of God, in himself to put away the sins of his people, to be the provision, to be the life, to be the satisfaction of his people, to make a redemption, an atonement, accomplished redemption for their sins by his own blood, that we might have every provision filled by our Savior, every need filled. And he promises life to his people by himself, for he himself is the bread of heaven upon whom we feed. And he makes that word effectual, if he wills, if he attends this word, this gospel word, and blesses it to your heart, he's the one that gives it the grace. He's the one that makes it effectual to us, giving commandment, bring of the fish which ye have caught. He calls forth his child in faith to look to him, to believe him, to trust in him. 
to bear those fruits of righteousness which he has made for us and given to us of his provision. And so our Lord does. He commands his people to believe, to bring forth that which the Lord has worked in our hearts, wrought in our hearts by grace. Now verse 11, John 21, 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Now this is a verse that is right, just full with the church's labors. It's a picture of, of the church laboring in that great commission. That, that's what we see here. That's what I see here. This is showing us the tokens of what our Lord works in his body for the ministry. John here highlights Peter specifically. I don't know if the other disciples were helping him or if Peter just received great strength there to just pull that thing up onto shore with 150 great fishes, it says there. And it says, for all the great fishes that it contained, yet was not the net broken. And there's something about this account, especially because it's Peter being highlighted here, and it reminds me of Peter's earliest interaction with the Lord. And Luke records it in Luke chapter 5. Let's go to Luke 5. Luke 5. And we're going to pick up in verse 4. This is where Christ, all the people are coming to Christ and are pressing against him on the shoreline. And so he steps into Peter's boat and there declares the gospel. There he declares the things of the kingdom of God. And it says afterwards, verse 4, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, what the Lord is showing us here in these two accounts is that at the beginning, when Christ first came to them, they were being shown their insufficiency. They weren't able to do the work that the Lord had purposed for his church. They needed to be taught. They needed to be broken down. Their net break. Their boats were sinking. They, they were insufficient to do the work at that time. But Christ was showing them his power, that he is the Christ sent of the Father. And then all his ministry long, he showed them how that... that by his grace and power, they can do all things. And without him, they can do nothing. Nothing. And he was teaching them that that whole time, that they could do absolutely nothing. Because when we get proud and puffed up and lifted up in ourselves, the Lord is very capable of bringing us low in ourselves and humbling us and stripping us down again and making us to see, I can do nothing. What was I thinking? 
Lord, without her grace, I can do nothing. And so he was showing them that they could do nothing. But now Christ had finished the work of redemption. Now he had risen from the grave. Now they stood in awe of him. And they were beginning to see the, the glory of their Lord and Savior. They were beginning to see who is like him. <laughs> this is our God and our Savior, our husband, our friend, our all. They were being made to know that proud Peter was humbled by a cock that crew three times, that crowed three times, and he was humbled. Before that, he thought he was all that. He was certain that he would lay down his life for the Lord, and then by a little servant girl and a few other people calling him out, he denied his Lord three times. And all the other disciples scattered and ran and left him, forsaking him, and left him to do that work which he had to do by himself. And he did it. And he did it. And now they knew, and they were humbled. And so here, the Lord performed the same miracle of them first catching nothing. Right? They were out there all night on the sea. They caught nothing. And then he directed them, cast your net out on the right-hand side, and they drew up the net full of fishes, for all there were so many, and it says here that yet was not the net broken. We hear nothing of their boat sinking, and the net remained firm and strong and steadfast. Because Christ is showing them, with my provision, <laughs> you, I'm going to bless this work. You're going to go forth, and you're going to fulfill this, this commission which I've given to you, and I will bless this work. And you'll see my grace and my provision and everything that you need, I'm going to provide it for you. And so they learn. They learn now. They knew whose glory it was, that it's all the glory of Christ. Whatever we do, I've got nothing to boast in. If your hearts are blessed, praise God, because it's all of his grace and mercy that works this in your hearts for your good, for your comfort for your peace and for your joy, even if it strips you down and takes you down to nothing, it's all for your good. Because if it brings you to the feet of Christ, on your face in the dust, it's good. It's good. It's good. And the Lord knows exactly how to do it. Now, this count of fish is peculiar. It tells us, very plainly, 153. And it seems to tell us something about the body of Christ. And I read a number of, of commentaries, and no one really had was sure what it meant. They weren't sure what to say about it. The, the most grounded thing I heard that I read was something about perhaps they were counting it to be divided later among themselves. And so without hearing what others have really said about it, let me at least tell you what what blessed my heart as I thought about this. This is in relation to the Lord's gracious provision for his church, who's going to fulfill the commission of the Lord. So we know it has something to do with that. It's, it's, a, it's an odd number. It has something to do with the body of Christ fulfilling the commission of the Lord. And it's an odd number of fish. It doesn't divide evenly. It just doesn't divide evenly. Even with seven people, it doesn't divide evenly. And so, as I thought about it, you know, there's things about salvation. There's, there's things that, well, there's things in the, in the kingdom that 
are different. Not everything is divided equally in the kingdom. Now, there are things that are divided equally. Every one of us. Christ died for every one of his people. His blood was shed for every one of his people. And every one of his people is given the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, gives us life. Every one of us, by the Holy Spirit, is washed in the blood of Christ so that our guilty, fiery conscience is cleansed and soothed and cooled by the blood of Christ. Every one of us receives the sight of faith to behold that Christ laid down his life for me. Every one of his people has the hope of a believer, has the inheritance of a saint, has the blessings of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're delivered from death unto life, but when it comes to the gifts of the ministry in the church, we don't all have the same gifts. They're divided differently as the Lord sees fit. I can show you this in Romans 12. Let's go to Romans 12. Romans 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 3. Now remember, this is Paul the Apostle. I'm not an Apostle. You're not an Apostle. Paul is an Apostle. And so as an Apostle, with the gifts and graces of God for being an Apostle, he says to us, in verse 3, I say, through the grace given unto me. To every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. There's a measure of faith that God deals to a man, some more, some less. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. My fingers are not as strong as my thigh. It's just not. My, I can't balance myself on my hands as well as I balance myself on my feet. There's different gifts, different abilities in the body of the church according as the Lord gives, as he's purposed and what he's purposed to do. Having then, verse 6, Gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us pro prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. And so on and so on. It's, it's gifts given by the Lord to his people in the body, in the church, to function with the many members, all having different gifts and talents and abilities in different measures according as it pleases the Lord, as it pleases Him. And so this odd number of fishes tells us, it not being even, that, that I, that's what I see, that the Lord's saying there's, there's different, different amounts as to who will receive what according as the Lord is pleased. You know, when you read Acts, it's Peter and John in the beginning of Acts, that are highlighted. They, there, was, there was other apostles, but Peter and John were the ones that were used mightily, that were recorded greatly of, of being used of the Lord in the beginning of the church. In fact, it was Peter's first public preaching of the gospel that 3,000 souls were saved on that one day when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. I don't know if there was ever that many people saved at one time. 
again after that. But Peter was used for that. The Lord did it with, with Peter there. And then we read of them until eventually Paul was focused on by Luke. And I guess Luke went with Paul, and so he recorded the missionary journeys of Paul and how that Paul was used mightily of the Lord. And much of the New Testament is written by Paul, preacher of grace, so firm and founded on the grace of God, so clear that we are saved by the grace of God in Christ. Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's all Christ, all of him. And then one other thing of note that I thought of with 153 is there was seven disciples in the ship that night. And that means that it's just a little under 22 fish each. In other words, it would be six of them would receive 22 fish and one, only one, would take 21. And I just thought with all the times these guys argued about who was the greatest in the kingdom, which of them that day said, I'll take the least. Give me the least amount. You, brethren, you take the many, and I'll take the, the lowest amount. Being taught of the Lord. Taught of the Lord. And so that, that's what I see in it, and, and it would bless my heart. Now, verse 12. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? knowing that it was the Lord. Now, this is a gracious command to those who are gathered in the church. It's a gracious command to those who are gathered into the church, and it's a blessed command to believers, those who know him as their Lord and Savior. You know, it says, None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. And so there was no question as to who it was. And he doesn't say, go and dine. He says, come and dine. Just like in the ark, he said, come into the ark, Noah. He didn't say, go into the ark, come into the ark, because that's where the Father meets with his people in Christ. And Christ says, come, come and dine. Feed upon the many provisions and the blessings that I've given to you, that you receive in me. And that's what he tells us. Make full use of all the provisions that he's given to you. Every time the doors are open, come. Come. When the, when the church is there, gather together to worship the Lord. Come and worship together, to worship the Lord together as a body. When the word is being preached, come and hear that word. Make full use of it to, to your prophet. The Lord's given it to you. Come and sing hymns, worshiping our Lord publicly with your brethren. And to hear the word publicly read. And, and, and to, to partake of that public prayer. Do it together. Make full use of what the Lord has done. Make full use of his ordinances. If you've not been baptized as a believer, be baptized. Ask, come and be baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. Take of the ordinances of his table. Come and eat, partake with your brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ, feeding upon his body, his blood, and, and, and make full use of, of what he's given to you. When you're at home, read his word in private devotion. Pray to the Lord. On your knees, pray to the Lord. And when you get up and you're going about your chores and your things to do, when you lay something on your heart, pray. Pray always without ceasing. Make full use of all the provision that the Lord 
has given to you. Come and dine. Don't be shy. Don't draw back. Don't take yourself out of it. Don't think yourself unneeded or unwanted. It's a blessing when all the brethren come together to hear the Lord and to hear what the Lord is saying to his people. Don't make excuses. Don't just come. Come and hear. Come and hear. And if you know that it's the Lord, then come and let nothing stop you. If you know it's the Lord and you have no doubt this is the very Christ of God, the salvation of God, Lord, save me, help me, come, come. And the Lord receives all that come to him and he turns none away. Now apparently this word dine specifically means come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. And the sense of this is that these are the provisions which the Lord has given to us for this day of grace. One day he'll return and take us up to be with him and we'll all sup together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. But now, in this, in this morning, in this day of grace, we are to partake of that full provision of his blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Blessed be the, the, the blessed be our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so everything we receive is in Christ, and nothing is outside of Christ. It's all in Him. And so He gathers us together, and He gives us this provision for this day to fulfill this commission that He's given to us, to preach the gospel. Verse 13, John 21, 13, then, or Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them, and fish likewise. And that's a picture of us to, to, to encourage us that our Lord, who came as a servant, he said to them in another place, but I am one that, that, came, that came to you, that is among you, as one that serveth. The Lord took the place of a servant in laying down his life for his people. For his people. He, he's, he laid down his life for his people, and he fulfilled the will of God for his people in laying down his life for them. And he took up his life and resurrection power. And, and, and now he, he's done the work. He's ascended to the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. And yet, even to this day, he serves his people in giving us provision and giving us everything we need and in interceding for us so that we have all that we need being strengthened and comforted and encouraged by our Lord to this day. And that's what we see here. This passage is a picture of the labor of the church fulfilling the great commission of her Lord, where we declare Christ crucified to those who are taken by that gospel net and brought near to the Lord to behold what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection. And those who believe him, knowing that this Jesus is both Lord and Christ, they're drawn by his grace, saying, Believe, come, come and dine, come feed upon me. I've given you everything you need, and it's made effectual in our hearts by his power and his glory. And we feed upon his full provision of grace for us while we minister as the body of Christ to the needs of the people, to, 
to help them, to comfort them in their way, in their pilgrimage way, to encourage them, to look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Don't be turned to the left or the right. Stay on, on, on that narrow way, which is Christ. And I'm reminded of what our Lord told his disciples in Luke 12, verse 37, when he said, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And so, brethren, watch. Watch and pray for our Lord ministers, is yet ministering his gracious meat to you, to feed you, to nourish you, to strengthen you with this gospel word. And he feeds those that are yet hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm thankful that someone preached the gospel to me. I'm thankful that that. They didn't keep it to themselves, but made full provision <laughs> and, and declared that glorious gospel to me. And, and I'm encouraged to do likewise, and he encourages you. Do likewise. Tell others what the Lord has done for you, how that he successfully saves his people from their sins by his death and resurrection. I pray the Lord bless that word to your hearts, brethren.